You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A safe space for deadly uncle conversations. <laughs> we will say... Buenando. Buenando. How about Anichiwa? Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. Yeah, why don't you let us know a little bit about yourself and we can go from there. Sonigano maega tamskarnoga kio. Tuhtim tigno wakku magan tigutkan tuhtmi kawa pahtmi goma. Niaga miusse kudusego yuutsenet tigiupi goyan. Nihion tapat sihtan mana gaskitsa asin tuan mana moin pagaskinihi wan maga miuiti naya. Intom tigo napiog i which means which a big swim tigo guta. Iguam stegoan ma kaituito a nihion ste kogi pasguna man tigui maskusit man. So, uh, when I introduce myself, uh, then Sam Wayne Jackson, I come from the Goodfish Lake First Nation, originally where I'm from. Uh, the stuff that I do, the work that I do is a lot of it is with language revitalization and, uh, I'm really glad. I'm really hopeful that to see our languages are made strong. They're made uh, to be uplifted, to be revitalized. And uh, for me, that's uh, something I do. And I, I know there's a lot of other people that help along the way to do that kind of work. So I, hi, hi, hi. So wh- where do you where do you work now? Like doing this this uh, language revitalization work. The main place I work at is uh, we call it University in Helotini Theots and Stami Maganag, Blue Coals. We put a big title in the middle of that, middle of the between university and Blue Coals. We could have just yeah. said University of Blue Coals, but it's been 50 years since this institution was taken over by, and it was actually the first indigenous led owned institution in all of Canada. It was 50 oh, years wow. that it was taken over by. People from our communities around the surrounding area here, where Blue Coals is, we're located right by St. Paul. But around here, all the Lakeland area, Treaty 6 East. So Whitefish Lake, Goodfish, where I'm from. Yep. Stad Lake, Beaver Lake, Hart Lake, Gehuan, Frog Lake, Coal Lake, and Sad Lake. So those are the seven owning and governing nations. But back then, it was actually still going into the north, into the... Uh, Athabascan district there were actually Dene, Dene people here that were coming to school here and they're part of that uh, takeover. So I work here at Blue Quills and we to do the to honor that big long word, University of Helotine Teots in Stamiamagan, the Blue Quills, we give precedence to our ancestors that the people that were here and took over this place and also like weren't sure just happened here not so long ago. Yep. Also to remember there were people that didn't come home, you know, there were people that didn't come home from these places. And there's actually people that suffered in these places. So that's the work I do right now. 50 years ago, we took this place over. Our ancestors, yeah, I wasn't here, but our ancestors were. Our uh, kukums, our musums, our uncles and aunts, and our relatives, our friends. Yeah. They took this place over, and uh, ever since then, it's been a hotbed of uh, language and culture revitalization. And uh, about 20, well, initially started as a school school for primary grades 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 k to nine i believe yeah and i think they went off to uh regional school in saint paul to finish but then eventually they they moved to uh to expand between to uh grade 12 
1976 was the first year that students graduated from here in, in, uh, in Blue Coals. So anyways, started off with a language program for them, and yep. then it morphed into adult programming. And eventually it became a college in 1990. And then in 20, 2012, one of our board members here, Carl, Carl Quinn, who was famous for Nipin and Nihio singing, uh, he kind of motioned that we should move towards being a university to be recognized because we were, we were conferring degrees. We were starting to confer our own degrees. And to do that, you need a Senate. And so our local seven nations here uh, created a Senate body of elders. And those people blessed the fact that we're doing um, conferring degrees to students that were graduating from our program. So anyways, to make a long story short, I'll try not to drag it too long. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. That's why no. that's, that's the work I do here. I do the work with the language revitalization. Um, I've been here, I started in 2011. Okay. As he, I did my master's like master's program here at uh, Blue Coals. I could have went the route. I have my Bachelor of Education at that at U of A. Um, it's a good degree. It gives me recognition with the Moniao institutions. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't get as much as I could have if I would have came here at Blue Coals. I would have learned syllabics. I would have learned uh, ceremony. I would have sat with the elders. With my B.Ed., I didn't do that. I went to the Moniao way, and it wasn't uh, wasn't as uh, it gave me all these uh, credentials. It gave me good pay, finally. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I see people that come through this program now. They come through a three-year Bachelor of Arts program. They go through all those things. Of course, pan the pandemic uh, kind of threw a, uh, a loop in the curve with everybody. So we couldn't yeah. sit with elders. We couldn't, couldn't do ceremony. But now we're starting to do those things again. But anyways, I missed out on those things. And now people that go through our program, they can actually do a two-year Bachelor of Education degree through the Aboriginal Teacher Training Education Program. So that those people do that to have a real rounded education. So they come through here and they, they learn all these good things and then they take them to the Mooney Institute and they get the certification. But anyways, that's the work I'm doing. I'm doing that. And the other work I do is also at CFW. I do some of the weekend uh, language programming with Nehiyawewin. Uh, I don't say Cree because Cree is not our word. Cree's from uh, Cree's from uh, the East. The uh, the Oblates, the missionaries, the voyagers, Corps de Bois, those are people that, that coined that term, Le Cris. And it's really, it's what they're saying, the little yellers. And uh, that's not who we are. We're Neheog. Neheog is who we define ourselves as. So, you know, Guam, that's what I try and raise awareness about. You know, let's, let's decolonize, let's call ourselves back. All the other nations have done that. Anishinaabe are calling themselves Anishinaabe. Dene are no longer Chippewa. They're called the Dene. The Blackfoot to call themselves by their, their own their own names, uh, Siksika, Blood, Ghana, and Began. So that's the work I'm doing with CFW. I also I, I. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I like. I mean, how did you um, get into you know these teachings? Why is it important to you as an Indigenous man to have this education and also to spread it amongst you know all our all of our young men coming up hi hey, hey, thanks for that question uh, yeah i guess it goes back to my my schooling i didn't go to a residential school but i went to a provincial school system from grade one to grade 12. i did my day school uh, they call it play school back then so 
was play school in kindergarten. I did that. Then I went, I was bussed off the reserve to, uh, to a little town called Ashmont here. And I did my, all my schooling pretty much there. We had an experience, I guess, in grade eight where the uh, principal came in and he offered, you guys want to, you guys, you guys should learn a little bit of your language. And boy, I was jacked. I said, right on. Yeah, that'd be good. Learn about culture, learn about our language, learn about uh, syllabics. You know, I'd, I'd seen them in the church. When we go to church, we'd see the little hymn books and their syllabics. But they used to actually read and write and uh, learn about, uh, learn our language. So the principal said, okay, whoever raises their hands, stay behind. The rest of you can go back to class. And there were 300 students at that time. And it was a mixture of Moniawag and Moniasagigwai and Nihiok. So a mixture of White and non and, and indigenous kids from the reserve, Sad Lake and Goodfish, were coming and being bused there. So there are about, a, say, maybe close to 200 students from Goodfish and Sad Lake, and only three of us stayed behind. Only three of us out of those 300. Uh, of course, I wouldn't expect the money out to take the course, but uh, <laughs> but I, I uh, uh, nothing was ever done. Nothing. We were never had any language throughout my whole schooling. And then I worked, I eventually went back to work there as a liaison worker. And the principal who was really uh, akin in the tune to what our people needed said, would you want to teach the language? And then boy, I kind of got scared because I didn't have, I didn't have no teaching background at that time. Mm -hmm. But I thought back to that time, you know, said we didn't get that opportunity and we missed out. That was a few years back. So I said, be good if these young people could learn the language a little bit, at least get a little bit, you know? So I started that program. Without a degree, did that for about four years, and then uh, uh, Lyle Olberg, the then Minister of Education, said uh, he was going to make second languages mandatory. So now I thought, okay, well, I started my Bachelor of Education. I better go back and finish it, which I did. Uh, like I said, I got that Munial degree, Munial credentials, and I came back and I did. I actually got paid better than what I was doing. I was doing teaching pretty much five subjects at the time five subjects and I was getting paid like a TA salary and it was like a, obviously no respect, no, uh, no, uh, what do you would say today? Revitalization and, uh, um, um, what's the word reconciliation in that, you know, there's no reconciliation to the fact that we were, even though we had a language experience, even though we had, uh, all these experiences, we have some abilities to teach. There was no reconciliation that uh, we we're just being paid piddly. But anyways, I got into this work and thought I better, better, uh, I better learn, the, better get the language out to these people that are students. And it was, for me, it's always been there. It's always been dear. And actually, before I started teaching the language, I, I told my boss that I don't have any language skill background, but uh, I should take a course. And I actually came here, Blue Quill is the first course that I took. And the only course through pre before my master's, I, I took the language program here and uh, it really opened my eyes. You know, when I first opened that book, I, I uh, words were leaping out at me that I hadn't heard in a long time. Things like Aimiwatik. Uh, Aimiwatik is a cross. And that, that, that took me back to my grandfather who was, uh, he used to make gravestones and he used to, I used to spend time with him in the summer uh, erecting those things for uh, deceased people, for family and friends. and. Uh, for me, I think just it just hit me and just made me realize, you know, this is I need to do this. And uh, I got to share a little story here. A former student here at Blue Coles here, just not too long ago, 
they texted me. They texted me on my phone and got me up uh, early out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at, oh, what is this? And she said, oh, I want to text you someday. She said, I had a dream. I had a dream about you and I had a dream about the late Vincent Steinhauer. Vince Steiner was instrumental. His family was also instrumental in the takeover in 1970. His dad was the actual first director of the native Blue Quills here back in the 70s. And eventually he became one of the one of the presidents of Blue Quills. And uh, in that dream, well, Vince has since passed on. In 2019, he passed on. Um, but in that dream she had, she said, Vince was in the gymnasium. Just like we do here every time we have a what do you call orientation with the students and i guess vince was talking and he was singing and they stopped in the middle of the song according to her dream and she spoke he spoke to me in that dream you need to teach the language and keep doing it forever that's your goal in life then he started singing that song again and then she woke up and that's when she texted me it's like if anything that's reaffirmation for me that you know i'm in the right place in the right time Sometimes people ask me to run for council back home, but I, I have no desire, no, 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 uh, no want to do any of that stuff. Uh, for me, this is more important, revitalization, and for me, it's identity. Nihio Akiano, we're we're the Nihio people. It, it's how we make our nation. We're going to make our nation strong, and if they can go back and identify with who they are, for me, the grade one to twelve experience, I was colonizing my thought. Yeah. That's all it was. All these color curriculum was telling, feeding me was that the white ways are good <laughs> and that, you know, Nihio ways are bad. All we ever saw in the, in the curriculum was bad things pretty much, you know, the, the real, real rebellions, the uh, Frog Lake Massacre, Almighty Voice, you know, those, those are the only things we saw in the history books about us. Never anything about treaty, never anything about uh, who we were as original peoples here, all this, oh, there was an ice age, oh, then there was a royal proclamation, and oh, and then there was the settlement, and that's it. Never anything about our contributions to Canada, our contributions to Western Canada, our contributions to treaty, and the reason why we even exist as a country right now is because of treaty, what was struck in the, between our ancestors and the, the settlers that came here. So anyways, for me, we go back to that, there's five things they say we need as a uh, to identify to be strong nations and to be to bargain within a within an international framework we need land which we have we need culture we have lots of that we have jigging we have uh, a fiddling we have a powwow we have round dances ceremony uh, we need governance we got we got lots of governance and we have a system right now a little flawed to my to my liking it's uh, according to the uh, indian act which i don't like uh, so we have that, and uh, people, we have people. So everywhere you go throughout three, six, seven, eight, nine, across across the land, we have people. And then that last thing, we need language. Without language, we just become an ethnicity. We're the original people here. We, if we lose our language, we can't go back to another country. Like what the late uh, Agnes Bull said here a long time ago. We can't go back to a foreign country and ask someone to give us back our language. If we lose it, we lose it here. So mm -hmm. for me, that's that's the alarm bells are, are ringing all the time. So, you know, I love what I do. I love what I'm doing as a revitalist, as a person who's trying to uplift and raise our language profile. 
That's what I'm going to do pretty much till nothing comes out of this mouth here in terms of breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wayne, I met you um, through music, actually. Mm-hmm. And and you have even brought in this revitalization into that area of your life as well, into your mm-hmm. music. And I mean, we did a... We did a Christmas song together, and that was an interesting <laughs> translation of "I uh, wish you a Merry Christmas." But uh, I mean, you, you've done—you've been talking about doing other music like that as well. Is that still something you're you're interested in doing? To because I think for me, I think that that's a good way for younger people to to mm-hmm. kind of identify with it is if they hear those those melodies and then they can identify the words with melodies. And for me, it would make me remember more. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Music music is a, one of the best ways to learn language. And we use it a lot here. I'll, you know, sometimes I'll use, uh, uh, for example, the word 100. Help kind me. of hard, eh? Kind of hard. It's a big long word. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. So you're saying 10 times 10. <laughs> right on. Good try. How I make students remember that is my, my daughter, one of my daughters, when they were small, they used to watch a show called It's Itsy Bitsy Time. I don't know if you guys know that that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, a little yeah. tune on there. It's Itsy Bitsy Time. It's Itsy Bitsy Time. It's Itsy Bitsy. So I heard that tune when they were watching the show, and I thought, I was teaching at the time. I thought, okay, and I got to the numbers part. And I said, well, that's a big long number. Okay, let's let's use that song. <laughs> so I even use that with my students here at Blue Coles. They, well, I've been giving them spelling tests lately, and we do 100, 100 words. So yeah. when I get to that 100 words, I go like this. Eh? <laughs> so they sing the song to me, and, the, and that's all they remember. So song, song really helps a lot, you know, when you're learning, when you're learning a language. And yeah. for babies, you know, things like Baba Black Sheep, you know, what's that farmer song there? I mean, those songs have been translated already. Those have been translated. So yeah. use those for our babies, even for new learners song plays a big part plays a big part in in learning and i had one person here who did who was uh ceremonious leo mcgillivray but he's a drummer he's pretty famous with uh with ceremonial songs he said i had problems with my son he didn't he although he was raised in the language somewhat he didn't he didn't speak it so i took him to ceremony and ceremonies where they sing a lot of songs and they speak a lot of language. And he said eventually his son was getting to speak more and more of the language as he attended more ceremony. So that ceremony song and those things are actually really, it helps to coalesce, uh, uh, make it a heat toward those things that uh, students want to, do anybody wants to learn a language, you know, song and goes with that. But yeah, you asked me about it uh, music-wise. Yeah, I, I, I kind of pushed myself musically into the contemporary field and uh, uh, had little little success, not a whole lot. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, I like performing. I like doing the music. I like I like uh, pulling out my guitar now and then. I don't do as much anymore. I 
because I just I kind of lost that passion. But if anything I want to do, I did start actually taking some contemporary songs and translating them. And I got a bunch, I got a whole bunch already, but uh, it's, I'm going to keep it underground for now <laughs> until, <laughs> until, until I eventually get up a grant or something. And then I'm, I'm just so busy right now. I'm so busy. I teach four, four classes a week here, the work I do. And then I do a seven CSW and then I go home. I actually stay within the Blue Coals area here. Like I live in Goodfish during the week. And then I go home to my family in Edmonton and, also, my mom is there. My my Nigawi is there, so I go. I kind of take care, look after. So lots of my lots of my plate, yeah. but uh, music is one of my passions also. So eventually, one day, hopefully, Gagi, someone I pray that I'll uh, release something music-wise, yeah, and then it'll it'll be language. It'll be definitely language. Oh yeah, I can mm -hmm. so see that. I can mm -hmm. so see that. Mm -hmm. No, it's it's really wonderful. I remember uh, seeing you uh, perform as well uh, on the trail, and us being at different events. And you know, one of the one of the things that people talk about, or one of the things that I've heard some of our elders talk about, is how there's certain like stories and ceremonies and stuff that are in the Cree language that you can't really. Uh, I guess, uh, say in the English language. Can you talk to us a little bit about those, that, those things? Do you, do you know anything about that? Yeah, the, it happens all the time. It, uh, there's stuff that I, uh, so I got a bunch of books. I got a bunch of, these are stories of Sarah Whitecalf. You know, these are part of the curriculum I teach at Nuckles. But uh, Frida Hennecke, prominent writer at Saskatchewan, who's since passed on. But she went around collecting stories in the 80s, 80s and 90s. So there's one of her books. Here's another one. This one's uh, actually local. Their example showed me the way. Um, this lady's from originally from Sad Lake, but uh, her uh, she was married to this man in Muskoches. So what happens often, and I've I've seen it. Sometimes people ask, and I see it all the time on my. Uh, there's a Cree group they're called Nikio one word of the day and uh, people ask what what's this what's that and then they get like various interpretations and there's just no one simple way to interpret stuff and for us for us as Nihio, you know there's we try to use we try, okay juxtaposition of our languages English is noun based if you go through it, you know, the man saw the bird, you know, two important things, man, bird. Whereas us as Nihiyog, Napio, yeah, is important. Ikaktap mat, pisisa. That ktap mio, ktap, ktap, I mean, look at it, it's more important. And so sometimes people ask things and how do you translate this and that? It, it, it can happen, it can work where you're translating stuff that, uh, I've done some translations for some organizations and uh, sometimes the things they ask it's it's uh <laughs> it's like this thing we're on right now we call it this this screen so we call a TV or a screen or anything like that and we translate that it's like shadows an implement with shadows mm -hmm. so I don't know why it's translated that way but that's exactly what we use or just 
like you heard it, Jaskasti Paichagan. Jastawi is like echoes. So the radio is an implement that produces echoes, sound. Oh, okay. So our languages are very verb based, as Niki. Any pretty much any Algonquin language is verb is verb based. So the juxtaposition of our the way our languages work is based on that thing. So it's also a world view. It's also the way uh, we look at things. Um, there are certain things like uh, in ceremony, they're alive. Like mitos is alive. Tree, asini is alive. We use in ceremony. Uspwagan, which we use in one of our sacred ceremonies. Those things are alive. So sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's hard, but uh, we, we do attempt to make translations and uh, uh, we attempt to say things. But, you know, languages are dynamic. So our we can translate stuff, but it's not going to be exactly the way mm. it's worded in English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost the way you grow up too, hey? Like your experiences with the elders and that will change uh, the sound of a word, the meaning of a word. And yeah, that, and, and I think like there's a connection between, uh, you know, some of the, the, the other indigenous languages around the world where they say you have to literally grow up that way to understand some of the words and, and even just, just be a part of the land and, and uh-huh. what's, what's around you to, to understand that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's very interesting. And some of the elders talk about our, our accents too, um, being that um, our language was quick, was very, very <laughs> fast. It was very, and they're saying that it was much more intelligent than English, and that's why we had to slow ourselves down to speak <laughs> this language, which a lot of a lot of non-Indigenous people made fun of Indigenous people, but actually it was us that had to slow ourselves down to speak this English language, and so just very interesting. Yeah, just a little bit of story on that. Yeah, we do have regional variances of Nihiawi when. So here in Treaty 6, you have Muscoatis, you have Sad Lake, and then you have people to the west, you know, the other, the other nations there. And then to the east here, most of us are Nihio language speakers here, uh, most of our reserves anyways. And then when you get to Treaty 8, Petus already is getting to sound different. Even from my community, Goodfish to Sad Lake, it's like a 30-minute drive. Already there's slight variances to the language already right there. Mm. We say in Goodfish, we like the word yes, we say iha. Iha. In Saddle Lake, they say eha. Eha. That e is slightly softened with the, with the, with the Saddle Lake and Muscochis. They'll say that same thing. Eha. When you get to Treaty 8, there is no iha. There's Ehe, for them it's ehe, and in Treaty Eight they tend to speak faster. They speak faster than we do here down here in Treaty Six. Muscatees they talk really. Not the Insiagachi speaks. They talk really very slow matter. I don't know because maybe it's because more sedentary on the plains. I don't know. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> They're colder up north, so like, here's a story. This is Bill Seaweed Bigum. He's from Treaty Eight. I think he's from uh, I which nation there in uh, Treaty Eight. He said, "There's a reason why you talk fast. It's darn cold. We want to get inside." <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> But yeah, there's there's variances to the languages. There, I mean, right here in Alberta, we have we have really only one dialect. That's why, whether you're in Treaty Six or Eight, it's it's also this, it's the same dialect, but it's there's variances to regional variances to the way it's spoken. They speak a little faster up north. We speak a little slower down south. And the enunciation, there's even some words like uh, we say in good fish for fencing, Waskangion. They say in South Lake Wehkwengion. Other places say men, men, gunny, me, men, gun. They'll say for offense. So, you know, uh, and when our students come together here at Blue Call, sometimes they're from other other treaty areas. Yeah, they bring back, a, they bring in a different uh, regional variance, and then sometimes they get into conflict. And I say, wait, you squat, you squat, you squat. Let's celebrate our differences. You guys might say it that way. These guys say it that way. So don't don't say their way is wrong. Let's celebrate our differences and welcome that you know there's a variance to the language. So yeah. that happens. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, for sure. No, I was. This has been great to uh, learn about all the language you're doing there. So with the the thing with blue quills is like you're there, and it it was once a residential school. And do you guys feel any kind of way in there, or has like has it being retaken back by, you know, the people of the area? Has that helped with the healing of the, like the whole area, I guess the building and whatever else. There's, there's people that are, are healed, that have been healed coming here. Yeah. Myself, for instance, uh, I first came here in 1988 through the university college transfer program. And back then I was a very much a colonized Nihio. I was very colonized in my thinking. Uh, we were we we're kind of raised up to think that you know uh, ceremony is bad. Following the Indian way, it was called back then, was bad. So for me, coming here, it opened my eyes. I opened to see that you know, oh, that's not what we were told about about the Nihio Watson about the Nihio way. And uh, I began to open expand my thought and uh, the things they teach here, like Siwatsun. Kindness, uh, helping one another, um, um, to be kind, to uh, share, to uh, to be clean. Kanatsun, they also teach about. So those are the TP teachings that uh, kind of base who we are as Nihio people. And these are things that were pretty much uh, coinciding with what was being taught as a, as a Christian. So for me, that healing came about. That healing came about, but there's people that have come through here when this place was an institution run by the Oblates, and they still will not come in this building. We had a guest yesterday at uh, one of our classes from uh, who came online. She came to our, we had a traditional powwow here this spring. She came to the powwow. She passed by the school, but she said, I'm, I won't go in there. I won't go in there just now. Not yet. There was stuff done to me, stuff that uh, I still have to heal from. But hopefully she'll find her way, and I'm sure she will. Uh, she's a very strong, 
Nikki Oldman. She's actually a teepee maker, and we're actually we're hoping to invite her here for one of our courses for spring. That's the thing I love about Blue Quills. Uh, uh, Land-based learning goes along with everything else. But anyways, uh, yeah, we had one 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 instructor here a few years back. He had to be in the next building, the trades building. We called it. It's built in 1985, prior to the prior to this, to this being uh, the residential school. Anyways, but anyways, he he could never come in the building. Um, and there's still people at last during our cultural camp here in May. We had I had some Dene ladies come in. They were touring the place and. Uh, they sat outside my office and they they lamented. They said, "Why doesn't this place bulldoze down? We were abused here." She said, "I can't bring myself right now to forgive anybody." I said, "You know, I could I could empathize with her. You know, if things like that were done to me. I would probably probably have those same feelings." But I told her, "You know, we're still we're, we're some people are healing from it, and some people are using this place to actually come out of that that uh, frame of mind." And uh, restoring, revitalization, and reconciling what they are as as Nihio people. So big, big juxtaposition happening here and yeah. uh, mm -hmm. with our, our our people. But anyways, one of our elders also is one of the instructors here, and he was actually a resident here in the nineteen fifties and sixties. But he's also one of our instructors, and he's actually pretty. I really look up to him. His name is Louis Lapita. He's uh, he still skates. He still plays hockey. He's seven, eight years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And he's actually teaching our Vizette course, you know. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Solid yeah. elders. Man. Solid man. I just have a lot of respect for that person, that individual. So, you know, <laughs> healing happens. Healing happens. You come to this place and healing will happen. Well, that's kind of what we're... I, that's kind of what we're trying to do is just open the conversation mm. for men to, to be able that's to talk fun. about this kind of thing, about about how they're feeling and especially with like the inner city and how we mm -hmm. live in Edmonton and there's not a lot of programming for men to help them uh -huh. start to heal and maybe eventually get to a blue quills, right? Like yes. there's no place it seems for them to start in the city where they don't have to go somewhere else to be introduced into their, to their culture, to their language and that type of thing. And that's, that's the type of thing we're trying to bring awareness to, mm -hmm. to try and keep that healing going for our people, right? Yeah, like I like one of the things that we're asking a lot of our, our guests, because our guests we're, we're picking are usually people that are working in the community and that are doing the, the things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions we're asking is, how important do you think it is for us as Indigenous people to have a place to pray within every major city across Canada, like here in Edmonton. You know, if you look at like a place like Palm Acres, it would be really nice to have something like that that was a non-treatment center for mm -hmm. Indigenous people to pray, to have ceremonies, to have sweats. Almost like, I guess you would call like a church or something or somewhere for us to pray. You know, how important do you think that is, is that for, for Indigenous people? So, well, first of all, I want to say I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, there's not enough talk about men's healing, you know. There's lots about Indigenous women, and I really appreciate that. And they need to go forth and do a lot of those good things, but they, not enough is done for our men. I, uh, I was just thinking about some of the people that I've, I've grown up with, you know, that I've, people that I, friends, families, associates, you know, they're gone. They're gone. The, Either through addiction, through uh, suicide, through uh, all these things that beset our communities, you know, 
And that's, I'm not just saying our First Nations communities, but also our people who live in the cities, people who live in our urban areas. They're hurting too. These were people that I grew up in and loved, you know. They're, they're gone now, and they could have been a contributing person to, to, our, to our communities had maybe they been directed in the right way earlier in life or even later in life had they had that opportunity. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, the one thing I'm currently working on right now is I'm forming a society within, hopefully to be within Edmonton. We're planning to, to create a space for immersion. Oh. And we really want to target our young, our, our babies, our kids. Beautiful. And we're, they come into the building, that's the first thing they hear, and that's the last thing they hear, and that's all they hear all day. So for me, that healing will take place if we re-identify with who we are as Nihiyog. And it'd be nice not just for Nihiyog, but eventually all the other languages. I know at one meeting, I went to during the uh, Indigenous language legislation in, in Edmonton, one of the Nakota ladies was complaining about, you know, it's always Cree, Cree, Cree. <laughs> 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 and it is, and it really is. It's a very, we're very Cree-centric with some. Our numbers, you know, our numbers yeah. warranted. We're just everywhere. Treaty six, treaty eight, all the reasons. Yeah. Mostly Nihog. So I don't begrudge what she said. I can understand what she's saying. But also for their languages to also be supported. Nakoda to be supported. Anishinaabe to be supported. Sutina, Blackfoot, all those other languages. Michif. Sometimes I, I forget Michif a lot. You know, there's a, there's actually a bunch of speakers in, within, that, within that language base. So for us... That healing is going to take place if we get back to our culture and our language. And uh, for me, that was healing. That was really an eye-opening thing for myself. As uh, It made me stronger as a Nihio person to come back to my language and culture. And I hope whoever is listening to your program here, you know, we can avoid things like what's happening with our uh, with our men. You know, with all our people, but, you know, especially our men. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I want to reach out to them too, you know. Uh, uh, I'm on Facebook. You can always look for me if you need to talk to someone. You know, there's a, there's a means and ways of going about it. And we have elders. We have urban elders, a lot of urban elders who are willing. Francis Swiss, Jack, one of them. You know, there's many out there right now. But that's what I wanted, wanted to commend you guys on, the stuff you guys are doing here towards men's health, men's mental health. And it's a, it's a lacking area. We don't talk about it. maybe, maybe I don't know what, because we're oriented a little different, wired a little different as Nihio, as men. I don't know, but uh, it would be good to see more programming like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's just growing up. We didn't see those things, and mm. you know, most of our 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 influences that we had that came from the residential schools didn't really know how to express themselves in a healthy way with masculinity. It was always like the masculinity that I learned from my uncles were like, if you don't know, if you can't get over it, then let's let's get over it this way. Yeah. This stuff or through anger, right? That and way. it's like, yeah. So, um, you know, I think that uh, we have to take our masculinity back, but in a healthy way. Mm. You know, um, when we when we talk passionately, a lot of times it's being taken as um toxic masculinity yeah. and i think that you know it's time for us to have a safe space to be able to express that mm -hmm. between men you know it's really important yeah. you know mm -hmm. that way yeah there's things like that you know growing up like that Nistanan, we never got hugs we never got kisses so mm. they're only expressing what they were given 
as as children. And so Nisai, I kind of had to I had to shift that thought. I told my kids I love them. I kissed my kids. I hugged my kids. I read them stories. You know, these were things that were bereft me growing up. So, yeah, and, and plus I didn't grow up in a in a household with a male. My Muslim was my only male male uh, person I looked up to, and uh, he passed away when I was about sixteen. But he had gotten sick prior to that. But he, I really looked up to him. He was one of the persons that I think about, you know, his life. He went, he went to residential school here in Blue Quills, but not the Blue Quills here, but the original one in Sad Lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, he lost his parents when he was young, both his parents. He had 10 children. Nine of those children died either young or in childhood. Mm-hmm. And so only my mother was left, and she bare, she bore her poor him some children. So we grew up with him. He's the person we looked up to. And despite all that, you know, he, we had to go sit. He was he neat. He was a comical, humorous person. Despite <laughs> all that, he, despite everything that he went through in his life, like God, you know, what I, I only learned about this now that he, God, he lost all these kids, and he went to residential school, and here he was. He was a humorous man. He would do all these these comical things, you know, around the house and stuff. And in public, you know, he wasn't shy. I grew up shy. I grew up shy, but he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I think no. that's a great thing about humor, though, is that that helps us all heal as well, right? And yes. I think we we all have a pretty pretty deadly sense of humor. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think it's a part of our healing for sure. Absolutely. Our, our self defense, our healing. And, yeah. yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah. I, I got a little story to tell you guys about uh, one of my, my buddies here. He, All right. Ferlin McGilvery. He, he's a, they call him Choppers back inside of Lake Hill. People that know him, they call him Choppers. I don't know for what reason they ever call him Choppers. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, he was teaching here at the program. And there was this white woman that took the program, the language program. And uh, actually, I was telling her, I was, I was reminding her of this yesterday. And they used to tease her, you know, that movie Dances with the Wolves? <laughs> yeah. Stands with a fist. That's what he would call her in our language. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> well, of course, she didn't know this at first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She would say everything. And uh, she asked somebody, what does that mean? Oh, he's insulting me. <laughs> so anyways... I happened to do a, I took her, I know she was a photographer, so I took her for some, I asked her to do some photo shoots for myself for the music and stuff. And so we got out there and we got to talk. And as you're saying, there was some, some uh, dragonflies flying around and they're called Zoeganopsis, Zoeganopsis there, which you can translate as the uh, flying, uh, buzzing, buzzing uh, insect. Mm. And that's what you can call helicopters too. Mm-hmm. So she, she got to learn that word. She learned that word from me. Eh? So, anyways, Ferlin happened to be in town, town of St. Paul. He pulls up to a red light with his dad, his late dad. Eh? So he's there waiting. Who pulls up beside him? Tanya. She pulls up beside him. So he pulls down his window, and of course, he's going to tease her. That's the guy that can swap out school. How stands with a fist? <laughs> <laughs> So she turns and looks at him. Moinanto, so we can I'm okay, choppers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
and his dad sat in between us and he heard all this. He said, Holy smokes, who is that? Why is she smokes for you? Is that a white woman? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't realize she was taking the language program, but yeah, they don't know. that's our humor. That's our humor as Neo people. Oh, yeah. totally. It's healing. That's, it's healing. It is our humor. I remember like being in the sweat, one of my first sweats that I was ever in and there was a there was a white lady that was that was invited as well and so we're we were all placed where we were supposed to be and so they were bringing in the rocks right mm -hmm. and the elder was saying pray to the grandfathers you know pray to the grandfathers as they come in and you know so they finally bring the rocks in and she's like excuse me she kind of stops the sweat day eh? and that and he's like yeah and she's like which one of you is the grandfather? <laughs> so we all laughed and we told her what was going on, but it's a part of the humor. I'm sure a lot of people tell that story that we're in that sweat, but we were laughing pretty hard. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Wayne. You know, like it's, uh, if there was ever a deadly uncle, you're one of the the deadly uncles that we're we're happy to have you on this podcast. And mm, you know that's mm. what this is about is about celebrating. It's about men celebrating other men mm. and lifting other men up. And I believe that with you revitalizing our language, um, you're one of the most important people because you you are teaching the teachers the next ones that will share this mm -hmm. with, with the next generation. Yeah, and hopefully if anybody watches this, you may inspire them to learn the Nihilak language as well. Yes. So yes. There you go. That's the and important not, thing. And not just Nihilak and other languages. Let's, uh, well, let's uh, also celebrate our other our diversity. That's right. We don't want that lady that was worried about the Nakoda <laughs> language to, to comment underneath. So. <laughs> She'll come look for you. <laughs> Well, is there anything else you want to share with us before we let no, you go? No, I just, I just want to say, which means persevere, keep trying, you know, uh, what you're doing, lovely work. I, I really support it, and I'll endorse it wherever I can. Awesome. Hi, hi. Thank you so much, brother. Hi, hi. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, and okay. uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hi, hi. Smaga. Hi, hi. You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A safe space for deadly uncle conversations.